This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching, here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. Hi, um, um, welcome to another one of our coach um, our coaching podcasts on skill acquisition. And in this podcast, we're going to have a look at something called representative learning design, which is really uh, just a way of thinking about how much your practice is representative of whatever your sort of like final performance um, environment is going to look like. Um, and I'm not going to tell you very much about that because I'm going to introduce uh, my guest who knows far more about this than me and hopefully we'll have a really good dig into this subject. So um, I'd like to introduce Cal Jones. Could you please let us know a little bit about yourself? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm a judo coach based in North Wales. Uh, I've just finished my master's and my final project, my master's thesis was looking at representative learning design uh, and how I could create a tool to help judo coaches to make their practices more representative. Great, and uh, and this is something that's got, it's in publication, isn't it? So we can't read it just yet, but hopefully it'll be out soon. So I guess the, the, the first question is, what do you mean by representative learning design? Uh, so degree to which the practice sessions look like what happens in the sport itself. So there's two key elements to it, really. There's a thing called functionality, uh, which is essentially the, the bits of the practice task that you can see that you're interacting with. Are they actually what happens in the sport itself? So in judo, for example, uh, we have a practice task called uchikomi, Japanese word, you don't need to know it, uh, where one training partner stands still, and they hold their arms out, and the other player turns in for half a throw, and back out, and in for half a throw, and back out, and they repeat it ad nauseum. Uh, I'd contest that that's not particularly representative. It doesn't have high functionality, because never in a judo match does a player stand still and hold their arms up and let you turn in and practice your throws on them. Uh, the other element is the thing called action fidelity, which is how much the uh, technique that you've developed looks like what happens in the sport itself so if I can do the most glorious step over in football practice when there's nobody around me but when I try and do it against the player my technique developed doesn't work it's not got action fidelity and uh, so representative learning design hopefully cuts out the middleman and makes sure that there's high degrees of functionality and action fidelity so that the technique well the skill that you develop actually works in contest, in a contest environment, rather than just it's a technique you've developed in isolation. So um, if I if I just sort of think about that in terms of maybe some other sports, so the functionality, mm -hmm. for example, it could be uh, in a boat. Are you or maybe that you know are you practicing on flat water when actually you're going to be on moving water? So it's going to be a completely different environment and everything's going to behave differently. Or you're practicing dribbling around somebody in football, but they just stand still. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> they don't do any. They don't actually try and get the ball off you or move. So, um, so the information that you're getting is different in the functionality bit, and then maybe what you do with that information is different in the action fidelity. I know I've probably simplified it a little bit, but would that? No, I think that's exactly that right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's um, that's perfect. That's more concise than I managed. 
I'm not sure. So uh, could you tell me a little bit about um, sort of the process you went through, uh, it may be more practical than academic uh, terms, in developing an, uh, an, an uh, it was an RPAT, isn't it, which is this, this way of a tool to help you actually assess how representative your practice is. So it'd be nice if you could just let us know a little bit more about that. Yeah, yeah. So the RPAT uh, stands for a Representative Practice Assessment Tool. Uh, so essentially, I formulated a questionnaire that had seven questions, and each question had two different characters, uh, two variables in it. Uh, and the questions themselves would be scored on a one to five scale. And the less representative a task is, the lower the score would be, and the more representative it is, the higher the score would be. So for example, if we use football, I'll use football as it's probably the most uh, easy to access sport for people. If I just dribble around some poems, that would probably be a one on the representative scale. If I'm dribbling around players that can try and tackle me, but they're all in a straight line, that might be a three. And if I'm trying to dribble around players that are holding a formation that actually exists in football, that might be closer to a four or a five. Uh, so by having uh, a set of questionnaires that we can use to identify and assess and score, we actually end up with uh, quite an effective criterion for less to more representative tasks. So, and, and this is something that a coach will use, or do they, would they ask their athletes to as well? Yeah, there's a, a great argument for both, isn't there? I think as a coach, knowing whether or not your practice task is representative of the contest environment is quite a useful skill set to have. Uh, there's an awful lot of practice tasks that look really, really good from the outside. It looks like the players are really clicking and they're starting to do the moves and it looks beautiful. But the retention, the transfer from a non-representative task is much, much lower than if there's a high degree of their representativeness in the practice task itself. So we know that uh, practicing for practice to make it look as though people are having high success and they're never failing and it's like a metronome, everything's clicking into place. There's usually not enough challenge and there's usually not enough representativeness to, to stretch the players and make the practice itself uh, look like what they actually do. They're practicing something that doesn't exist. So if I, if I um, understand you there, the danger is that they get very good at practice, but not very good at performance. And they're not necessarily going to transfer any skillfulness that they show in practice into a, into a genuine performance environment. Yeah, exactly right. The, the more representative a practice task is, the higher the rates of retention. So from practice, from one practice session to the next, how much of that uh, increase in their ability is retained. Uh, and transfer to how much of that improvement that they've seen in practice actually transfers onto the court. So if you don't have high degrees of representativeness, you end up with very, very good practice for practice, but very poor practice for performance. The players aren't getting better at the sport that they're trying to get better at. They're getting better at doing practice. Doing practice. That's, um, that's great. One of the things I was thinking there, listening to you giving the example with the, with the football, is it, it occurred to me that 
that it's, it's, and I'm just checking this with you, that's possible that you could have something that's actually highly representative, but it's still simplified. So you could have a football um, training practice where you have really got somebody who is in opposition and they are, there's a, they are making formations that are like the opposition and they're trying to get the ball off you, but you don't have the whole field and the whole team and all of the other complexity, but the bit, the slice that you've taken is simplified but still highly representative is would that be a fair yeah yeah it's uh, exactly exactly what it is really um it's unfeasible to practice within the contest environment itself consistently you you wouldn't get enough uh contacts in the environment you're looking to in, improve so we take a slice of the contest environment itself so whether it's um, trying to beat a player on the wing and deliver a cross in that a striker can head rather than just crossing the ball from a cone into an, an area that's not representative at all. You're actually trying to beat a player so that the information that is around you becomes much more accurate. How you deliver a cross when you're pressured by a player will be very, very different to how you deliver a cross when there's nobody around you and the ball sat nice and still next to a cone. Uh, so you're, you're bang on. We take a slice of the contest environment. We keep the specifying information. We keep the bits that uh, are relevant in the practice task. And we play about with that situation and see what, what happens. Thank you. So I, I, the other thing I'm thinking there is actually, it, it, there's a little bit of a shift from maybe coaches thinking that that they just need to focus on like um, more te technical, does it look right? And maybe some of the tactical, but it's more, is that information available that, that we don't separate those two things? Really, we try not to separate any of the elements. We just, we just take a thinner slice so that we can focus the athlete's attention onto the information that they need for that particular slice. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. I'm not making that confusing. So we can simplify it. So, so we remove the extraneous information that we'll build back in afterwards, but we go like, we're going to take a little slice. It's almost like having a big picture and we're going, I'm going to hone in on that, that little section of it and I'm going to megapixelate it, but I'm keeping it in the big picture. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. The, the phrase that... Um was used that I quite like is we reduce without impoverishing so you can simplify a task but as soon as you take out the information that makes the task relevant uh, it loses any validity or loses a lot of its validity I should say uh, so it might be the case that I'm trying to beat a player and deliver a cross in to uh, a striker who has players defending them well, that might be too challenging of a task for me. I might not be able to accurately pick out my striker, but I still need to learn how I can develop a cross under pressure from a defender. So I could take out a little bit of the slice, but as long as there's still specifying information, there's still something in the practice task that the player has to learn how to deal with, how they can cope, how their uh, kinematic strategy, how their body shaping, how they deal with the all the different variables that exist when you have a player trying to stop you delivering a cross into the box is still there. If you just practice a technique, 
the technique doesn't necessarily have high action fidelity. The way you cross that bone, if I repeat that cross a hundred thousand times, when I come to a game and there's a defender trying to prevent me from doing it, my technique now looks nothing at all like the technique that I've practiced. I've practiced something that doesn't exist. Yeah, that that's great. That and it makes perfect sense. <laughs> So um, I think one of the things that would be really interesting is to, to just think about, you said that this, uh, it's a way of coaches sort of going through and there's some questions there that help them uh, score how representative the session plan that they've got is. And we're not saying that it has to be really high, it's just knowing, isn't it, how representative it is so that you're aware as a coach and you can play around with, with changing them and hopefully making it more representative. Uh, so could you give an example of some of the questions that were on there that maybe are ones that would uh, you know fit nicely with other sports or most sports uh yeah i suppose the um the, the big one i thought i like the most is uh, does the task encourage decision making so if a task doesn't require decision making usually it's not particularly representative uh, not to say that it always isn't but it's a good indicator uh, as to whether or not it is if i'm just rehearsing something with a predetermined outcome, the chances of me actually having a, a strong training adaptation to it is very, very low. Yeah, so uh, one of the questions would be, uh, does the practice task encourage decision-making? So if a task itself doesn't require any decision-making, it's very, very unlikely that it will be represented at all. Um, if, for example, we're playing rugby and we've got a preset uh, play that we're trying to do. My number nine is going to pass it to my number 10. My number 10 is going to pass it to a centre who's looking for a second row on his inside shoulder. And he just goes through. They rehearse the moves and they do the same thing every single time. It doesn't change at all. And it's not particularly representative of what happens in a game. If you just run through a play without paying any attention to what's happening in front of you, you're not going to get much progress. So what you could do is you could put elements of decision-making in. So as they're playing through a set play, each of the players are scanning, looking at the information that's in front of them. Are the defenders drifting? Are they blitzing to, are they blitzing really quickly and leaving space behind them for me to put a kick in? Are they becoming too narrow? Is there a gap somewhere else? As soon as that element of decision-making comes in, the technique or the skill that emerges is much more representative it doesn't matter how they kinematically deliver a ball if their quote-unquote technique their their uh, does it look like it's from a picture book that's less important than whether or not they know when and how to pass a ball and get into the correct position to exploit spaces to take advantage of how a defense is set up the more representative the more they can attune to that Ah, oh, so I'm thinking, when I listen to you there, which is, is fascinating, I'm thinking, rather than give instructions to the individuals who are passing the ball and moving forwards, for example, and telling them how to do that, it, as a coach, what I might do is give instructions to somebody who's going to defend against them. And then yes. that then means that they, they don't know what's going to happen. And, and I can actually change the instructions I give to the defender which would encourage the the players that are doing the passing to move forwards to have to pay attention 
and have to adjust to that. Would, would that be a fair interpretation of what you're saying there? Yeah, exactly right. So if the defence does the same thing every single time, there isn't going to be much decision-making. The player with the ball in their hand knows ahead of time, well, the defender's going to be doing this. So by giving instructions directly to the defending team, defending the players team. with yeah. the ball... Yeah. Yeah, the player with the ball has to actually make decisions. The, the practice task then is representative of the contest environment. Which is, which is maybe a little bit of a shift in mindset from giving the instructions to the, the people you're actually trying to coach, isn't it? Because you've switched it over. Yeah, very much, yeah. Where they, where they might be paying attention to. That's, that's really interesting. Really interesting. Thinking about my canoe polo days. <laughs> <laughs> far, far too many set pieces. <laughs> so... <laughs> I, it would be really nice um, to, to to sort of finish off. We will give we will give some examples of some of some RPATs, some of these um, tools that you can use. Um, but it would be really nice just to finish with uh, maybe just some some uh, top tips for um, how coaches can just start using this. Maybe a couple of questions that they could think about um, in just their everyday practice. Yeah, um, I'd say probably the thing that I think has the biggest change uh, or had the biggest change for me in uh, making my practice task more representative was coming to the realisation that a technique in isolation very, very rarely looks anything like how it's used in contest itself. Uh, I'm speaking for judo specifically at the moment. Uh, we practice well, judo players tend to practice their, um, they practice techniques rather than skills. So they'll spend hours and hours and hours honing this perfect model uh, technique that you see in a book. Um, and then when they actually compete against other people, they don't do the technique anything like how they've been practicing it. So I kind of concluded that an awful lot of the time that you're practicing is looking at a kinematic that doesn't exist in reality. Whereas if you can get it so that your practice task puts players in a position that they are trying to throw someone when they're off balance, when the person they're trying to throw is pulling away from them, when their footwork pattern's being staccato because they're trying to time a sweep, all these different elements actually mean that the player who's learning to throw is learning to throw, not learning to perform a technique on somebody. Uh, yeah, so I think that's probably the biggest thing. When you realise isolated technique practice isn't particularly useful if the isolated technique doesn't actually happen in the way that it happens in your practice in the contest environment. Right, that's a, that's a, nice, um, a nice summary. And there are a few more um, detailed questions I know within the tool and that we will pull into, but they, they are... Um, like you say, it's that they're based around information in terms of mm -hmm. functionality and, and the information that they're likely to be able to pick up from that environment. So like you say, it's, you know, throwing somebody who's moving around and, um, and avoiding you and, um, and probably feigning and pushing off balance is very different from just practicing throwing, isn't it? So we, we need to think about how we can simplify something, but without losing that fidelity. Exactly right, yeah. Reduce without impoverishing. 
reduce that impoverishing. I absolutely love that. So, and, and that that's perception and action. So it's what they're seeing, the decisions they're making and the moves that they are making. So three, three kind of in really simple terms, three bits. Would that yeah. be fine? Yeah, I think so. I think that um, without wanting to uh, get too technical in the, in the approach, I think that the, uh, the information that you have in front of you is crucial for you to be able to learn skills. If you don't have information in front of you that is representative of what actually happens in contest, it's very difficult for you to learn a skill and then transfer it to an environment where everything is completely different. If you learn in safe waters, it's very difficult to deal with the chaos of white water rapids. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's no, like I said, there's no, there's nothing, there's no information to make decisions on. Yeah. And uh, so, um, great. Thank you very much. We will definitely um, put some links to your stuff when, when it's all published, but we'll pop some links to some other, some other um, information about representative learning design and some examples, some practical examples. And thank you very, very much, Cal, for, for joining me. And that's that's great. And and we'll and we'll also have a, a short blog article that's just sort of ties up some of the stuff we've been talking about. Yeah, you're very welcome. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Join us at ukcoaching.org. Whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve, we can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you.